0: back into down the line. As always, I'm your host Carson Breber and today we are coming off of a pretty good week of tennis. So we're going to touch on the tournaments that we just saw on both the men's and women's side and then we're going to look at some interesting storylines and make some predictions heading into Vienna which is of course the 500 that begins this coming week. Normally I wouldn't dedicate so much time to a tournament of that stature but it is a pretty loaded draw and in a year like this, it holds a little bit of a special significance in my opinion just because the opportunities to make a mark are limited and guys are trying to take advantage of that. But let's start on the women's side where we had a tournament in Ostrava and we saw a lot of the same faces that have been dominating as of late. We had Sakari, Azarenka, Brady, and Sabalenka in the semifinals, which to me just reaffirms what I have been saying for a long time. And also you had Ons Dabur who went down in three to Sakari in the quarterfinals Jabor, Sockery, Brady, they are right up there with the top 10 players in tennis. I do not care what their rankings are. When they are the ones who are consistently producing, making these runs, you have to give them their due respect. I thought it was good to see Azarenka rebound and have another really deep run because I do think she is going to remain a force on tour, which I am really excited for because I like watching a legend revitalize her career in this way. Sabalenka ended up coming out on top. Probably, in my opinion, the least exciting outcome of the bunch just because the other three semifinalists are all in their own way in the midst of breakout or standout 2020 seasons. But props to Sabalenka. The one thing I really want to talk about from this tournament is Coco Gauff, who went down to Sabalenka 7-6 in the third in their second round match. My biggest question from this is, Is Coco going to start winning these tight matches consistently? And is she going to make a run at any point in this late WTA calendar? Because there's only a couple tournaments left. This is normally the Asia swing. Almost all those opportunities have been canceled. So she's not going to have that much time to do anything significant in 2020. And maybe it begins next year. But right now, at 16 and a half years old, she's sitting at world number 47. She's 10 and 8 on the year. Those are incredible accomplishments for her age. She is in her mid-teens right now. And I thought that we saw some progress in in Ostrava. She seemed to figure out the double faulting woes that had plagued her in the previous couple tournaments, where she hit 20 in the French Open against Trevisan. It cost her the match, and playing Sabalenka that well is really impressive. That's the thing, though. Coco has never had trouble hanging in there with the best players in the world. We've seen her do that for a year plus now, and all year long in 2020. She should have won the match against Sabalenka completely. She had it in her control. She dominated the first set. She was up two breaks in the second. Then she gave one of those breaks up. Then she got it right back, was serving for the match at 5-2. And you just saw her tighten up a little bit, got broken, was serving for it again at 5-4, got broken again, went down in the tie break. And I don't care what age you are, when you are that level of talent, that should not be happening. And obviously, she is mentally advanced for her age. She would not be at this level if she weren't. But we've seen her really struggle in these tight matches. Her last four losses have all been in three setters. Six of her eight losses on the year have been in matches that have gone the distance. So she's here full-time now. And when I watch her play, I don't see top 50 player in the world at 16 years old that is raw and still has so much left to add to her game and develop and progress. I see a top 20 player in the world right now, if not better, with the volatility there is at the top of women's tennis. She is competing with these people for a reason. The margins are incredibly slim between her beating them and losing to them. And I think that Coco should be contending for slams sooner rather than later. I mean, like next year probably. And that's a lot to say for someone who hasn't made a quarterfinal yet. But that is part of my issue right now. And it's insane to expect so much of someone so young. But I thought at the French, she had a real opportunity. And again, she beat herself in a way that for a few weeks she was doing with that second serve. But over most of her career, she hasn't. I think her footwork's improved. Obviously, she can hit that ball flat as well as anyone in tennis. She is a monster serve. She has everything. We've seen her throw in even some more variety lately with the drop shot, which she seems to have fallen in love with maybe a little bit too much at times. But as a pure striker of the ball, she's obviously right there. And again, she's 16 years old. She will continue to grow. It is abnormal for someone of that age to be at this level. It is also even more abnormal for someone of that age to have this kind of talent. And I'm excited to see where it goes next year in particular because now she's really got a year and a half on tour under her belt. She has some full-time experience, and she's getting closer to the full adult Coco Golf that we will see. So, I just hope she gets in the top 20 soon enough. She doesn't have to win a Grand Slam at 17 years old or anything, but I do think that she should be higher up in the rankings right now than she is because she should have gutted out some of these really tough, close matches against great players. It's a lot to ask, but with great talent comes great expectations. Flipping to the men's side, we had Cologne 2 this week, which is hilarious. The second straight week that they hosted a tournament in Cologne, Germany, and they are officially named Cologne 1 and Cologne 2. And Alexander Zverev won both of them. So I think that that's pretty hilarious. He went 3 versus Millman and Monorino en route to doing so. I don't think that that's really a big deal. He got out of there with wins. There's no huge cause for concern, in my opinion. And if you look at the semis and the finals, he played a great match versus Sinner, who was playing at an unbelievably high level. And Went down to break early in that match, did Zverev, and I think he realized, I'm not just going to be able to sit six feet behind the baseline and brush balls back like I want to do, so it's not like he was on the attack the full time, but we saw him really flatten some balls out, we saw him attack when he needed to, and then also play high-level defense, and then he dominated Schwartzman and was able to play both defense and offense at a really high level, and that to me is the best version of Sverev when he's attacking in the big moments and asserting himself, but also obviously he's a six-six guy who moves as well as anyone we've ever seen at that height, along with Daniil Medvedev, and that, along with his consistency from the ground, is the reason he's so good. It's the reason he's had a better career than a guy like Raonic, who obviously can serve bigger and can flatten it out more easily and can finish points off of the net, but he doesn't have that same mobility, he doesn't have that same consistency. So I don't want to just always criticize Vera for playing like a smaller guy because it's part of his skill set, but I really do like it when he plays aggressive. Schwartzman and Felix Ojeal seem played a great semifinal in this tournament. Schwartzman was serving for the match in the second. Felix fought back, broke back. Just wasn't enough in the third set, but I thought that it was really impressive to see from him. And I hope he gets over the hump and gets that first career title soon because now he's made six finals. We see him consistently get in a position where it seems like it's reasonable that he leaves that week holding the trophy. And unfortunately it hasn't happened yet, but he is still so incredibly young and so incredibly talented. And we'll see if he can continue to refine his game. And that match kind of to me came down to who was the more consistent. Schwartzman's gonna win that matchup ten times out of ten against Felix. And now it's getting to the point with him where he doesn't beat himself in that way. But obviously, it's still an impressive result. I do want to talk about one more young guy from this tournament, just because I cannot help myself. Sinner is here. He has arrived. At 19 years old, he's number 43 in the world, 9-3 in his last 12 matches. He's only losing to great players at this point. If you look at his last few losses, it's to Rafa, it's to Zverev, it's to Dimitrov, who was playing at a really high level. And that's awesome to see that he's not beating himself anymore, that he's not losing to these guys outside the top hundred. And yeah, you can point to a qualifier he played in a couple months ago and say, well, what happened there? I'm going to choose to ignore it because I think that we've seen some real quick development in him. And I think that the French Open was pivotal where he showed he can just blow great players off the court. He did it to Zverev. So it's nice for Zverev to come back and get that revenge win in that way. But Sinner has shot up the rankings. And obviously the French Open run was pivotal in that. But it's not just that. It's Rome. It's here in Cologne, and I really love what I'm seeing from him, and I think that he is here, and I can't wait to see how he grows into next year, because he's another guy who should be a slam champion soon enough. So that's sort of all I have on Cologne, but there was another 250 this week that maybe not quite as strong of a draw, still a pretty good group of guys though, and a really interesting outcome and champion. That champion was Umber, who I want to take a minute to talk about because it was an impressive run from him, beat Evans in an Epics of my final, beat Duminar in the final, and and he is having an unbelievable 2020 season. 21 and 11 on the year with two titles. This is really only his second year on the ATP tour, and he's only 22 years old. And it's so interesting because he sort of gets let out of the conversation when we talk about the best young guys. I literally just did a episode called "Let's Talk About the Young Guys" last week, and Humbert's name did not come out of my mouth. And I don't think that that's necessarily unfair, but. He is playing at a really high level. On the year four wins versus top 15 opponents just in this past tournament. I already mentioned the wins over Evans and Diminar. also beat Carreno Busta earlier in his run. And he doesn't stand out to me because first of all you can look at his ranking. He's not a top 20 guy, but he's not as young as some of the guys who we can get invested in in a Shapovalov or in a Felix Zioaliasim or even further than that in a sinner. And he doesn't have that one crazy weapon that makes him stand out. He doesn't have the power of a Felix or a Shapovalov or a Sinner. He doesn't move in that same kind of jaw-dropping way that Dimonar does where he can run around all day and just never tire and get to every ball and also has that unreal shot-making ability from difficult angles. But he is really good. And he doesn't have a weakness. And he does move well. And he does control the ball. And I think he can do it on every surface. He can kick up into that high-power gear when he needs to. And he's in this interesting tier of young guys where you can throw Taylor Fritz in there, you can throw Casper Ruud in there. These are really good young players who, yes, aren't going to win a Grand Slam, but still deserve to be acknowledged because what they're doing is really impressive. He's one of seven guys, 22 or younger, in the top 32 in the world right now, which I think is fantastic. We have an actual insurgence of young talent, and as much as we can mock the next gen 15 of the top 32 are 24 or younger right now. So I think that's good for the sport when you have these relatively young names making themselves known. And Umber is not the kind of guy who is going to define a generation, but he's the kind of guy who can be a consistent guy hovering around the top 20. And it's nice to see those guys sprout up as well. He doesn't have the slam results yet. Only one career third round at a slam when he made the fourth round at Wimbledon, but he really hasn't had that in many opportunities, so he didn't impress there this year, which I think is another part of the reason he gets left out of that conversation. One distinctive result at a slam will do a lot for you. Look at a guy like Sinner, who made the quarterfinals, where it doesn't just enhance his reputation, it obviously greatly enhances his ranking, so... I think that he's part of this deep group of younger guys who are playing really good tennis, and I wanted to acknowledge that, and I thought that he had an impressive run. I also want to give a shout-out to Evans, who got off to a great start to the year and then cooled down a bit, especially as we got into that clay court swing, which certainly does not favor him, but that dude is unreal talent, and he can blow anyone off the court, so I think that it was impressive that Umbair was able to hang with him at a really high level and come out of that match in a bit of a dogfight, and... We'll see how he proceeds going forward this year and if he can put together any more notable results maybe in Paris obviously in his home country and I'm just excited to see. I want to see how he fares on all three surfaces in the long term in his career because we really haven't seen that much from him in the grand scheme of things. So let's look ahead now to Vienna because as I mentioned I think that there is a good amount at stake there and also that we're going to see a lot of really high quality tennis which I am really excited for. So first I want to talk about some intriguing storylines that are, I guess, underrated in the scheme of things, and that we're going to try to touch on some guys who I don't normally yap about. We're not going to talk about if Djokovic can go undefeated the rest of the way this year and start it off with a title in Vienna, or if Medvedev can turn it around, although I am fascinated in that because Medvedev needs to turn it around at this point. But I talk about that a lot. We're not going to talk about Shapovalov or Sinner, if they can have their breakthrough moment, which I seem to be looking for at every tournament. I talk about all those guys too much. So we're not going to start there. We're going to start with a guy who I talked about briefly in Alex Diminar, who was so good last year, 41-20 and with three titles, began 2020 at 20 years old, ranked number 18 in the world, and then injuries derailed his campaign a bit. He's been back and healthy since the tour returned from its COVID break, but it's been mixed results. If we go back to the very beginning of this year at the ATP Cup, he was awesome. He beat Zverev, he beat Shapovalov, he took Rafa three. And he blew me away. That Rafa match was, I think, the best I've ever seen him play, even in defeat. It wasn't just the defense that has always defined him. It was the pace. He was slapping at balls, and he wasn't missing. And yes, he always hits a flat ball, but it was incredible, and it was the shot-making from all around the court. The passing shots, the touch, the variety, and his ability to really hit with Rafa on one of Rafa's better days, it just seemed up a level from what I had seen from him in the previous year, because... You can look back even to 2018, when Diminar was still winning a lot of matches, he was 28-23, and but it was all defense, and it felt like a really good player could blow him off the court, and I remember when I saw him at Indian Wells that year, he played against Del Potro, and he just looked like a little boy out there getting run around, and he had these unconventional strokes, and yeah, he proved himself throughout that year, but was he dictating? Was he really matching the pace of the best players in the world? Not consistently, and he started to do that throughout 2019 came on strong at the end of the year, and then the ATP Cup to me was a real wake-up, water splash on the face moment, like, whoa, this kid really is that special because of both the wins and the impressive loss. And then, because of injuries, and because of COVID, he didn't win a match for seven and a half months, and then you get to the US Open, where he made a quarterfinal, he'd had a couple of previous disappointing results before that, and then... Didn't win a match at either of the clay tournaments that he played in Rome or the French Open, and I don't think the clay is ever going to be his surface, although we do have a very limited sample size there from him. And now he comes back and he just made the final at Antwerp, and even though he didn't come out of there with a title, it was a really good result for him, and he played some really great tennis. So when we look at Vienna, it's a tough matchup for him. He has Medvedev first round, and it is really difficult to pick against Medvedev, indoor, hard, it is kind of a surface tailor-made for him, and he might as well be a Soviet robot who was built to play on that surface. Soviet, that's kind of a dated term, but if we're talking about human robots, it felt appropriate to use. And I still think that Diminar could actually win that because he's great indoors as well. He's a 73% career win rate on indoor hard, which I think makes a bunch of sense because he hits the ball so flat. So I'm fascinated by that matchup. I don't believe that they've ever played before, but these are two guys who are going to crack the ball at each other flat, who both probably prefer to play defense, but can play offense. And maybe the advantage goes to Medvedev because he can also get those three points off his serve. I also think... I trust Diminar to be a little more consistent. I don't think any junk for Medvedev is going to throw him off. I don't think he will feel the pressure to attack. And maybe he puts the pressure on Medvedev to attack, which he can do, but it is not his preference. So I'm fascinated by that. I want to see just more Diminar in general because this felt like a year where he's already had two full years on tour when he's been impressive, but maybe this was a chance to take the leap. Maybe this was the chance to work himself into the London conversation. I think that that would have been on the table and we didn't see that. I want to see him on clay. As I mentioned, he's 2-11 and there on his career. That's not going to happen in Vienna, so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. I want to see him at Wimbledon. We didn't see that this year. These are all long-term things, but first and foremost, I want to see how he follows up that solid result in Antwerp because we haven't really seen him have consecutive impressive campaigns this year. And obviously, it's not like he's had that many shots at it, so it's a tough draw. I want to see how he handles Medvedev stylistically. Mentally, he is as tough as they come. Physically, he is as tough as they come. He can beat you in a number of ways, and I want to see how that ends up shaking out against a guy who fits a lot of those same profiles. Another guy who I'm intrigued by heading into Vienna was the finalist in Cologne, that being Diego Schwartzman. I want to see if he can keep this up, because with Roger Federer out for the season, Right now, he is in control of the 8th spot to get to London, and he is just a man inspired right now. It started at Rome, obviously, with that final run, the incredible win over Rafa, the incredible win over Shapovalov in the third set tiebreak, and then it continued into the French when he got to the semis and played a really good match against Rafa, even though obviously he didn't get a set out of it. No one got a set out of Rafa that tournament, and now just made the final in Cologne. And yeah, Schwartzman has always been really good. Even though he was a late bloomer, he has been a consistent, reliable force on tour over the past few years, but there's a gap to me right now between what he's doing and what he had done over the previous few years of his career. Even in 2020, he was 11-8 and eight on the year before these last three tournaments where now he's kind of made your jaw drop every time out there. And Part of it is the incredible fight, the ability to win close matches that just not many other people can gut out, but I also think When he takes the ball early, he can push people around the court at 5'7", which is special. And yes, these are traits that he's always had. Maybe the difference is the unreal competition and the mental toughness that has helped him eke out these closer ones right now. But I just think he's a force right now, and I'm fascinated in how he keeps it up. He has Lajevic. Lajevic is a really good player who has cooled down a little bit. I think that they're two guys who are going to hit a heavy ball and I'm interested in seeing if Schwartzman goes on the offensive if he plays a little defense there, but I hope that he shapes up for another decent run because if he gets through Lajovic, he's playing either Harkash or Balash, and neither of those are the toughest matchups for him, and I think they can get out of it. Now, he will have Djokovic in the quarterfinals, which is essentially an inevitable demise, but nothing wrong with that, and if he pulls that out, then there is really magic in the air, and we're talking about something special, but I do think when you compare him to Berrettini or Monfi, or Shapovalov, these other guys who are on the verge of the London conversation, he's the most deserving candidate right now, in my opinion. And that is not something I would have expected to say coming into 2020, because he's never really had that upside, and he is showing it right now. Another guy who I will be looking out for is Keina Shikori, who it feels like we've forgotten so much about. Sometimes it feels like we've forgotten that he's back on tour, and sometimes it feels like we've forgotten that when he got hurt, when he had that elbow injury last year, he was number seven in the world, and he had made five straight slam quarterfinals before the loss at the US Open, which was his last tournament for a very long time. And I know that I've said these things before, but I don't want to just get the idea in my head that Nishikori is done or something because he's 30 years old. He should totally get back to that level, but he's two and four this year. Only one of his losses has been to a player ranked above him in Garin, who destroyed him love and three. I don't think he's looked bad out there. I think that his movement has been good. There's been a couple times where his footwork on his forehand looks a little sloppy, but nothing that I would really be concerned about, and we've seen him both attack and defend. It doesn't look to me like the elbow is bothering him. I know that he said that it was a really tough recovery, that he was in excruciating pain, that he was mentally psyched out and just didn't want to pick up the racket again. That's a really tough thing to come back from. And now he's got team here in Vienna, not exactly a favorable matchup, but I want to see him battle and I want to see him get some momentum to where going forward this year and into 2021, we see a semblance of the K Nishikori that we all know and love because that is a very good player who was a former Grand Slam finalist, who was a perennial quarter finalist, who was a guy who always was in London, and I just want to see that. So it's not a great matchup for him. I think the team will likely outhit him, and I don't think that Nishikori can really dictate how that match is played, and I don't feel great about him playing defense against team on an indoor surface, but I just want to see him play really well, and hopefully he can turn things around, because it's just so unfortunate to me, him, and obviously Del Potro, who we haven't seen this entire year, which just breaks my heart, because that dude is one of my absolute favorite players to watch, and obviously should have been one of the all-time greats, if not for injuries, I don't want to lump Nishikori into that category, because it's a different level of perennial injuries, but they're around the same age, and hopefully Nishikori is not done, and hopefully Delpo isn't either, but Nishikori has a chance to show us what level he's at, really, here and over the next couple months. Last guy who I'm looking for is Casper Ruud on hard, because we know what this guy is capable of on clay. He's 19-7 and seven on the year on clay, but he's 2-4 and four on hard, and hasn't won a match there since the ATP Cup when he picked up a couple of impressive wins that made me feel pretty good about my preseason prediction that he would be sort of this year's Diminar. In that he would win a couple titles. He would be that breakout, borderline top 20 guy. And I think with a full year, it's very possible that would have happened. He's already had a breakthrough and he's in the 20s now. But that has been really dependent on his production on Clay. And now he has Sinner. And I'm going to be honest, I'm just not going to pick Rude to beat Sinner indoors. I just don't see the matchup favoring him there. I think that Sinner will flatten out. He'll attack and Rude will try to play his defense and hang back behind the baseline. And I think he'll get beaten that way. And We'll see if he can make the adjustment because he hits by pro standards a little bit of a loopy ball. He's an unbelievable defensive player, but he doesn't have a weapon in his serve, obviously. And so, I don't think Indoor Hard favors him. I don't think Hard in general favors him, but he is a grinder and he can hit the ball with some pace. And maybe he does show improved results there long term. We'll see if he can hold his own here and beat a guy who he is higher ranked than and should be the favorite, but I do not believe him to be. So now let's get into some specific first round picks because I highlighted almost half of the first round matchups. This draw is that loaded with talent and I am intrigued by so many of these. So let's start with Fritz versus Chorich, where I'm going to take Fritz. Chorich leads the head-to-head 3-0. He has been the better player of the two as of late with the quarterfinal run at the US Open, with the final run at St. Petersburg. But I'm just going Fritz. <laughs> I don't know if that's the most convincing rationale. I think that he's been more reliable as of late. Chorch obviously has had much higher peaks in his career. He also has moments where he's a head case. And Fritz has sort of put it all together to me in a way where the serve and the forehand are going, but there's more control. There's more consistency. And indoors, I think that favors him a bit. Now, if Torch is on his best day, if he's playing great defense, if he's attacking well when he needs to, then maybe I don't feel great about this pick. But for now, I'm going Fritz. Dimitrov versus Kachanov is another incredible matchup. I'm going to take Dimitrov. That to me is about as good as it gets for a first round. You have two huge hitters who have interestingly never played before. I'm going to take Dimitrov. Even in defeats, he has looked great. He has been so close throughout this entire year, and I think he gets over the hump here. I think the indoor surface favors him slightly because he's such a pure clean striker of the ball, whereas Kachanov muscles it a little bit more, and I think that that faster surface is going to lean Dimitrov, and I'm going to take him there. We have Monfi versus Carreño Busta. This is not a difficult one for me. Indoor, I will take Monfi. He had some incredible runs early in this year on this surface where he won a couple titles. And I just think that he's going to be the aggressor. And PCB is not going to be able to get away with his sort of neutral balls down the middle where he can beat a lot of guys like that. I don't think that works against Monfi. Sinner versus Ruud. I hinted at earlier. I'm going to take Sinner. I think that the aggressive player is the guy who I'm leaning with in most of these matchups because... It's a surface that favors aggressive play if you can do it consistently, and Sinner recently has been able to put together that whole package consistently. I don't see why that stops now, and I just don't think that Rude can make him uncomfortable. Ruud is the kind of guy who can grind some people up by getting so many balls back, but Sinner's not going to beat himself, and I think that he's going to be the one more at home on this surface, so I'm going to take him. Stan versus Garin, another one that is going to come down to a surface matchup basically. Now, I think that Stan is the better player no matter what, but Garin is 14-25 and 25 on hard in his career. He is a guy who, despite being relatively big, very much favors clay. I think Stan hits him off the court, and I'm just interested in seeing what Stan does in general because, obviously, we've seen him in a few tournaments, and he's had some mixed results, but he didn't come to the U.S. He was playing in challengers, and I want to see at 35 years old... Where does his career go from here? How long do we have a quality stand for? I don't know. And it's not like we're going to get those questions answered here in Vienna. But big picture, it is something that I am looking out for. And these consistent kind of wins over guys we probably should beat are an indication of how long we get that for. Diminar versus Medvedev. This to me is the most interesting. I hinted at it earlier. I'm actually going to take Diminar here. I think that Medvedev is on a downward slope right now, and I don't feel great about ever picking against him just because the dude is so difficult to beat, but we've seen people on their best days get him. Now, Diminar is not of the typical style that is favorable to beating Medvedev. Normally, it is someone who is going to attack, who has a specific style, like maybe a Pospisil, who can serve him off the court, who can finish off those points at the net, or a Pelka, who was a little bit strange, just because his ground strokes can kind of break down at times, but he was able to hold together some big serves, some big forehands. Diminar doesn't fit that prototype, but I do think that it'll be some nice back and forth flat balls. I think that maybe he puts that pressure on Medvedev to attack, and I think that he comes out on top because of it. And my last intriguing one, I will take Team over Nishikori. I'm excited to see Nishikori out there, and I hope that he does well, but this is not a matchup that I like him in. Looking long term for some bigger predictions for this tournament. I'm going to skip to the semifinals. We're not going to do quarters, although I do think there will be some great quarters. I'm going to take Djokovic over Shapovalov. Shapovalov has to get through probably Sitsipas to make that happen and potentially Evans before that. So it's not necessarily the easiest route. He's going to have to beat a couple of real quality players. And maybe I should lean Sitsipas here, but I do feel like indoor. It's going to favor the big hitter, and I think that that favors Shapovalov in that matchup. Now, he is less consistent. Obviously, he's more prone to errors, and just as far as who's been doing it at the high level for longer, who is the better result lately, all of this favors Sitsipas. I do not care. I am a massive Shapovalov homer. On the other side, I'm going to take Rublev over Felix Ojealiassime. I think that not to harp too much on the fact that this is a tournament that will be played indoors, but it will, and I think that that favors Felix, even though he's going to have to go through a tough route. To get there, gonna have to beat the winner of Diminar versus Medvedev, and then probably Monfi as well. But if he can consistently control with that flat forehand, if he can serve big, I think that it favors him. And then I talked about Rublev. He'll have to beat Sinner probably and then team to get here. And it's obviously always difficult to pick against team, especially considering this will be in his home country. But who has been the better hardcore player between the two of them? I know that one of them has a Grand Slam title. I think you could debate that it is Rublev. He has been that good this year, and I'm going to put my faith in him. But when it comes down to it in the final, I will never pick against Djokovic. And we are indoors where he is such a clean, pure striker of the ball, and it is always going to favor him. And he's one of the best players of all time under those circumstances, if not the best. So. I'm really excited to see how this whole tournament shakes out. I think that there's a bunch of great guys who are facing off early. And if someone other than Djokovic wins, we will have something fascinating to talk about. If not, we will have his continued dominance to talk about and other things as well. Whatever exciting results transpire that I cannot anticipate. So that's going to do it for us here today. I've been Carson Brever, and this was Down the Line.